The following episode of the Vince Lionel Podcast contains spoilers for the movie Alita Battle Angel. So if you haven't seen it, you've been warned. This is the Vince Lionel Podcast, episode 38. On today's episode, we're talking about Rotten Tomatoes removing their audience reviews. Also, we're talking about Remy Malik in talks for Bond 25, Spielberg fighting streaming services, and we have J.J. Schindler in the house talking about Alita Battle Angel, uh, James Cameron's influence, the box office, and the chances of its sequel. So sit back and relax because the Vince Lerno podcast starts right now. Hey everybody, welcome to the Vince Lerno podcast. We're recording right now on a Tuesday, March 5th, 2019. I'm your host Vince Salerno. Um it's been a it's been quite a week with with uh, news and stuff. Uh, we had the Oscars, which I guess wasn't a disaster. Um, a lot of cool trailers came out uh, for Detective Pikachu, Rocket Man, the the El- Elton John biopic. Um, and I really, you know, I really enjoyed both trailers. Uh, we're not going to talk about them today because more um, pressing matters have come up in the industry that we have to talk about today. Uh, speaking of those, we have our special guest today, uh, someone who's been on the podcast more times than I can count now. He's uh, one of my best friends. He's one of the, he's a great producer, uh, talented filmmaker, and uh great business guy uh working on a lot of cool projects right now uh out in LA living it up while I'm living it up in the Midwest it's JJ Schindler he's back all right I'm back via phone <laughs> <laughs> if i had a budget i'd fly him out but um you know <laughs> it's not it's not viable now but yeah JJ welcome back to the podcast i'm glad to be back thanks for the invite of I'm course excited. Of course, uh, for like uh, I want to say this is like maybe the fifth or sixth time. I think maybe. something like that. I yeah. lost track too. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're working on. I mean, you've you've had quite a quite a past couple of months. You're you're we you moved yep. up to L.A. around the time that I did, and then uh, you're still there, obviously. Uh, but yep. yeah, what do you what are you working on right now? Working on a couple different projects. Um, I had just finished a film, uh, more of a drama, uh, more in the kind of the indie circuit a little bit. Um, that was fun. And um, right now I'm working on a new film, a uh, big project coming up in about four months um, called Roy. It's a big uh, uh, history, historical drama, sci-fi film. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm working for um, some studios up here, doing a lot of script work and um helping with some development for other features and just enjoying it all, man. Loving, I love this industry. I love story. So I'm, I'm very blessed. Sweet. Yeah, no, I'm really look, looking forward to Roy. I've had uh, many conversations with both you and uh, the director, Joe Fafelski about um, that and sort of the, I guess sort of the off branching of that as well. And uh, I'm really excited to see what you guys come up with. Yeah. No, it should be. It's, everything's lining up. It's there's a lot of moving parts, and I'm excited. Yeah, we'll have to have you and Joe come on sometime to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, um, awesome. it's part of the reason why JJ is on the podcast because, um, uh, without giving too much away, Roy is kind of this. Uh, it's an expansive science fiction world, 
and uh, you've been doing a lot of research on like on, on world building and sort of the um, sort of the meticulous uh, thought process that goes into creating uh, a world that is is grounded and believable but is still kind of um, vast and, and and sort of you know fun to look at uh, you know with sci-fi there's so much possibility with that so um, with JJ doing that I thought it'd be nice to have him come on and talk about um, Alita Battle Angel because he saw it and liked it texting me literally the day before the day I was gonna go see it he's like dude you gotta go see Alita Battle Angel it's like that's funny because I'm literally about to go see it uh, and, and I had to agree with JJ I, I really enjoyed the film I have my issues with it, but uh, I'll, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was really, it was unlike anything I had seen in a long time, and uh, it's something that I want to see continue. So uh, that's our topic of the week this week, is talking about Alita and just sort of the, um, the world-building process. We're talking about sort of James Cameron's history and influence on the project and also his... Um, relationship with Robert Rodriguez, a director, um, the box office performance, which is a very interesting case. And then, um, that directly leads into the chances of this f potential franchise continuing with the sequel. So we'll dig into that in a little bit with our topic of the week, but right now we have, let's get into our top three. We have three fresh new stories. As I mentioned, um, I initially wanted to talk about, um, JJ and I were supposed to record this episode uh, last week, but our schedules kind of got intermixed, and I actually got sick again for the like the third time of these past three months. So um, we had to delay uh, the recording. Initially, we were going to talk about uh, the Detective Pikachu trailer, which uh, was to me awesome, being a um, softcore Pokemon fan. Uh, really enjoyed what I saw. I, even if I wasn't a Pokemon fan, I think, I think I'd really into this movie. Um, JJ, just, I don't know if you've even seen the trailer, but just really quick, what did you think of that trailer? It's interesting. I, it's definitely outside of, like, my taste, personally. Uh -huh. So it was, um, it was interesting. Um, I think there, it's, um, it's kind of taken a little bit of a risk, but I think they, they know that there's a, a strong audience out there for it. Um, so I think it's a smart move as far as uh, the studios are concerned and, uh, from a producing perspective. Um, yeah. But we'll see. It'll be interesting what tone they take and, um, you know, how the films receive, if it's going to be kind of that funny, stupid movie you go see or if it's going to be something that they're trying to make a little bit more serious. Um, we'll find out. But, yeah, I think it, I think it's a smart move overall. I think that there's definitely an audience out there for it. And, oh, yeah. Um, we'll see how popular it becomes. Yeah, I could see it definitely grossing, you know, around the ballpark of a billion dollars because pokemon is huge it's always been huge and it's a it's a fan base that's always been constant has never never shrunk or right. um decreased in in uh, popularity and people well, i mean for the u.s market too i mean you're not even you know not even thinking of you know china and japan and all these other um countries that would uh, would love content like this so. oh yeah definitely and um it's there's definitely something really cool about seeing these characters in live action because we've been I mean I again being a softcore Pokemon fan people have been clamoring for this this movie although people have been skeptical of like wait you're starting with Detective Pikachu which is this really obscure offshoot of the actual Pikachu character but um, anyways we're getting into tangent on that it looks like a great trailer um, 
also again so we were initially we were going to talk about that and then um the rocket man trailer came out and i was like well honest to god i'm looking i'm more looking forward to rocket man than i am pikachu detective pikachu to be honest because i love biopics i love especially musical biopics and i'm big fan of elton john's music um so looking at that and and literally just having seen bohemian rhapsody um it looks it looks like a great movie it looks kind of like a like a slightly different take it's ironic because the same director that like stepped in to finish the last like couple weeks of shooting for bohemian rhapsody is also directing rocket man so it's like he's got two musical biopics under his belt jj did you get to look at this trailer I did not see this one actually. Mm. Well, are you? I guess are you looking forward to the movie then, or have you even heard of this Elton John biopic? I actually hadn't. Uh, it sounds interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard much of it. Uh, is it taking the tone as kind of Bohemian uh, Rhapsody, or is it kind of taking? Uh, you know, is it like what tone would you say it's taking? I'd say Look, it's but... it's on the same trajectory and same tone as Bohemian Rhapsody, which is kind of ironic, but uh, it's it's being described as a a sort of uh, a biopic, uh, you know, real life retelling of Elton John's life, but also kind of a um, a uh, like a like a it, it, the the movie's being marketed as like based on a true fantasy, so there's some like sort of like you're going inside when you watch certain scenes, you're seeing it through the eyes of Elton John, and there's some sort of fantastical visual elements that are kind of you know not grounded in reality, but more so Elton John's own imagination, which I think is a very unique take uh, and sort of I guess attributing to Elton John's more diverse and flamboyant um, presentation of himself. So I think it's. Uh, you know, I, I do think it's in the same vein as um, Bohemian Rhapsody, but I think it's in a way sort of capitalizing on that popularity. Uh, but I think it'll be a welcomed biopic. I don't think it's going to be, you know, slandered for sort of mimicking uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think if once people realize, oh, they're kind of the same directors in a weird way, uh, they'll kind of come off their high horse and be like, yeah, that's that was a pretty good biopic. And so yeah, we'll I think, see. I think there's a big interest with people. I mean, people love things that have music, and I've noticed that there's been a overall trend for you know films that have music. Kind of, you know, even though they're biopics, they you know they're using these you know these artists or telling these stories about these artists that people have loved or that have been champions of the industry, mm -hmm. and um, you know people for anything they just like to re-listen to the things that they loved from that band or from that artist so um it's interesting it's almost like a modern musical a little bit you know the way that they take you know these stories and they're kind of using that you know music does a huge element of driving an audience's interest in a film so right yeah have you have you seen bohemian rhapsody yet I've seen a lot of it. I didn't watch the whole thing uh, front to back, um, mm. but I did see a lot of scenes from it, and I thought it was really well done and um, really interesting. And coming because I, you know, I didn't grow up like I listened to Queen, but I never was super interested in them. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, coming in with fresh eyes, it was still like just really well done on a lot of levels. But I loved, you know, I think people loved re-seeing these concerts and these parts that they remember growing up or being a part of a little bit. So. 
Right. Yeah, no, I, I just saw it this weekend. I, I did a double feature. I watched Mary Queen of Scotch, which was actually awful. <laughs> um, and then I watched Bohemian Rhapsody, which was a nice rebound from that. Um, and it was, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it was a great exploration of not only just Freddie Mercury's life, but the band's life as well. And, you know, Rami Malek, man, just what a what a great performance from him. And, you know, he's... Right obviously one of the guys we're talking about today in our um one of our top three so uh i guess let's just get right into it and quit wasting time <laughs> point i'm trying to make is there's a lot of great news coming out in the for the industry um it was hard to make, come up with the lineup but we eventually i eventually settled on these three stories because they're the most interesting um so let's get into the top three number one uh rotten tomatoes is changing up their their site so uh due to uh an overwhelming uh, amount of negative audience reviews early audience reviews not even not even when the movie comes out for both captain marvel and star wars episode 9 uh rotten tomatoes has made a decision to remove audience reviews prior to a film's release let's make that clear they're not getting rid of these completely they're only blocking them out uh for when for, for before the movie comes out. like Just like critics, you're not allowed to review the movie until it's actually out in theaters. And then, you know, there's no saying that you can't go online and blast it again, <laughs> even if you haven't seen it. But uh, I th- a lot of people have been talking about whether this is sort of a, um, a hindrance on freedom of speech or if this is actually a good thing. I take this as a good thing. Say what you want about Captain Marvel. Personally, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm not really reading into the feminist stuff as much. Or it's like, oh, it's a overly feminist movie. And it's like, at the end of the day, who cares if it is? As long as it's a good movie, I don't really care. <laughs> as long as those feminist elements aren't, you know, about shaming any other group. It's just about, you know, celebrating women empowerment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's my brief political rant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, um, this, this, it's kind of weird, you know, just this, yeah. th- that we have these internet trolls that just insist on trashing movies before they come out. And, um, I think it's really great that Rotten Tomatoes has taken a stand at, uh, combating this and really, you know, saying, um, you know, you, you have no right to review a movie before it's come out. And if you're going to be overtly negative about it uh, and review it and try to, you know, hinder its chances of, of success, uh, you have no right to speak your mind before it's even come out, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I guess I in some ways disagree a little bit because um, it depends on, I guess, how they're structuring. You know, I never looked at it too much. Um, you know, I always take critics, I, you know, if anything, I wish they would, they would take away some of the critics bullshit, but, mm-hmm. um, with the audience, I think you kind of always have to be listening to your audience in a way and know they haven't seen it yet. If they're making like, you know, if the score and correct me if I'm wrong on how this, this score would work is because it seemed like it was a, how, you know, how, um, likely were you to see it kind of score? Like how much are you looking forward to this film? And there could be trolls, but um for me like i you know this is one you know kind of an opposite take i 
really could kind of, I guess Captain Marvel is probably one of the least things I'm excited for in Marvel, not because of the character, but just because what I've seen from the trailers and stuff, I don't see a good movie in place of what they're showing me. Mm-hmm. That's it just fair. kind of seems an interesting, weird take on the character. Um, and could be totally wrong. I actually hope I'm wrong because I hope it does well. Like I hope any movie that's, you know, put a lot of effort into, especially in the Marvel universe as well. Um, so I guess perhaps this could be a lack of like not seeing the whole picture from Rotten Tomatoes perspective, because obviously it's happening to other franchise, big things like uh, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But I could also see that people aren't excited for that anymore with what Disney's done to Star Wars. Um, oh, a lot yeah. of people are very happy with the direction they've taken, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're not excited to see it. Uh, but whether or not that's going to affect the box office, at least for Star Wars, I doubt it. I mean, maybe for this um, this you know particular Captain Marvel movie, but I don't know. I feel like it's it's in, it's uh, an interesting gauge, and I don't know how um, exactly that that um, that would measure how an audience actually would. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't include a lot of people who don't. You know, that's strictly for people who are more movie buffs. A lot of people who don't aren't into movies as much as me and you uh, as, and as much as a lot of people probably watching this podcast, they don't probably don't even know about Rotten Tomatoes. And if they do, they never look at it. So, yeah. you know, I would say that's probably a good 60 to 70% of the audience that sees a movie doesn't really care about reviews or some Rotten Tomatoes. They just go, Oh, that looks cool. I'm going to go see it or I'm not. Right. Um, so you're already just cutting out a really niche demographic. And if that is true, like, isn't that the reason that you created it was to get an audience's honest reaction and maybe nobody's looking forward to these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be just a harsh reality, but um, I definitely see how it's playing in and I'm sure they've gotten a lot of pushback from other film, you know, from filmmakers and studios about it. Cause if it's, <laughs> if it's taking down any profits, it's obviously going to become a problem. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess, so, so rotten, the way rotten tomatoes works is, uh, before a movie comes out, you used to be able to vote, and you still can, I, from what I, I believe, you vote whether you're, you want to see it or you're not interested. And uh, you also are able to write a review, like you just write your thoughts on it. And usually I'll, I'll look at some of the comments on these on Rotten Tomatoes and I'll see like just little blurbs like, so excited for this movie or like pass or not interested. Um, but then I'll see like just these weird rants from people that are just like they're reviewing the movie before it's even come out. And, you know, I I think you make a great point that it's, you know, you're cutting out the audience demographic. And I definitely, you know, I I totally agree that audiences should have a right to voice their opinion. But um, at the same time, you're also, I mean, because this has been happening for, for years, just people doing these, mass calculated attacks on movies like it happened with black panther too which obviously didn't have much effect on it but there was this giant um attack on black panther on facebook there were these um facebook groups that were just they were just committed to downvoting all the trailers and all the all the um all the posters and stuff like that online and just get just creating this negative buzz around a movie that hadn't even come out and ended up being a, a phenomenal Oscar-nominated superhero film. So, and it's, and I can't even, I can't even recall the countless other movies that this has happened to. Um, right. so, so there's, there's a, there's a movement that's 
combating these movies for um, just just because they don't like that they exist. And it's like, that's fine. You can totally voice your disapproval, but don't go trying to, you know, destroy the hard work of hundreds of filmmakers and, and, and artists that have put their their heart and soul into this you know be give them the decency of at least letting the movie come out first and and then if you want to say how terrible it is more power to you um but these these calculated attacks are just are just annoying because they've been happening for um for years and the and the critics uh you know i i I can i can kind of agree with what you're saying about the critics so sometimes i think they're their um, reviews can be a little nauseating, uh, and I think people sort of misconstrue the 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 rating on Rotten Tomatoes because they don't just they don't give out a percentage. It's not like oh let's say uh, just like throw a dart on a dartboard like oh eighty seven percent yeah let's go with that. It's um you know it, it's it's all these reviews from all these different sites that are aggregated, and the ones that are negative they just say like i did not like the movie are rotten and the ones that say i did like the movie are given a you know uh are a given a fresh score so that's how the per- that's how the percentages are determined and the same goes for um same goes for the audience uh percentages as well uh so it and i've been told by many you know movie commentators and stuff like this and I, I encourage other people to do this too instead of looking at that score like find a a critic that you do like and if you want to know if you like a movie or or, or should go see this movie follow that critic don't follow a percentage a or a number right. yeah no i i think that's a great point i think it's find somebody that likes movies that you probably like and that reviews them in a, in a you know in a very smart way that they take a very educated take on it that you could follow i think that's a great idea just because you can get lost in the amount of contradictory critics um to even great films you know and it's um but yeah i think it's a very at the end of the day it's a very niche niche audience that uh, overall that follows Rotten Tomatoes and that does this I mean there's obviously a large amount but like mm-hmm. you think of the general public like I was saying before I don't think they care and I don't think they would take the time so yeah. it obviously it's become a problem because I don't think Rotten Tomatoes would take the initiative to do that if it wasn't becoming something where they see that it's not helping it's not really accurate and it's just you know because there is trolls everywhere but you're going to get that on anything so I'm sure right. they, I'm hoping that they still re- keep something in that regard that like um because that's an interesting thing to look at like how people are um how excited they are to see a movie but yeah you gotta take it with a grain of salt and it's interesting because some people I, I suppose maybe look at it too seriously right yeah i think that that's even a, a better alternative is just like take the route of the average audience goer and just you don't have to listen to the critics you don't have to listen to anybody just if the movie looks good, go see it. If it doesn't, you don't have to see it. I mean, there's there's no shame in that. And that that's kind of the route I've been taking. You know, yeah. I'll, I definitely look at the critics' scores because I'm genuinely interested. But, um, you know, my my thoughts on Captain Marvel, I mean, the, the reviews just came out today, and the, it's a kind of 
ironic that we're talking about this today because the the percentage on Rotten Tomatoes just came out today, and right now 87% of critics that reviewed the movie have have liked it and it's already gotten a fresh rating. Um, so, you know, and that doesn't change my thoughts on going to see the movie. I, I've been looking forward to this movie since the this first trailer because I thought it looked really good. So, um, and, you know, if I don't like it, well... There's plenty of other Marvel movies to to go from, and you know it's not like they're gonna completely give up on this character. There's always room for improvement if the movie doesn't live up to the expectations. But um, yeah, so I guess we'll see how this sort of carries out. Um, right now, I I do think it's a great move on Rotten Tomatoes' end, but uh, you know we'll we'll wait and see how this change um, affects their site and if it really sort of helps to combat internet trolls and these these just mass movements that combat um, movies in which people just disagree and you know just to touch on the Star Wars thing too it's just like it just it's all coming from Last Jedi sucked and Solo sucked therefore episode 9 is going to suck Disney's ruining Star Wars and it's like maybe that's partly true I mean I'm not going to completely disagree with those comments but um Give it a chance. I mean, every. Right. I mean, the movie. We haven't even seen the footage. We don't even know a title. We know. We know jack squat about this movie, so right. let it come out and we'll find out. I'm definitely looking forward to Star Wars Nine. I don't know if it'll be any good or if it'll be an improvement on what's come before, but we have to wait and see. Right. right. So, all right. Well, let's move on to a a much happier topic. Uh, topic number two, uh, now just recently as, as of two weeks ago, I believe, or no, as of a week ago, uh, Oscar winner Rami Malek is in talks to play the villain in, uh, James Bond 25, the final outing of Daniel Craig as James Bond. Uh, now this is a particularly interesting story because <clears throat> Rami Malek was rumored to be in talks to play the villain uh, a long time ago, like actually, like when back when Danny Boyle was going to direct the movie, and he he had to drop out because he was shooting uh, the show Mr. Robot, which was at its final season, which kind of took priority. So the schedules couldn't line up, and so they they couldn't get him to commit. Uh, but then Danny Boyle left Bond Twenty Five, and then Kerry Fukunaga, the current director, stepped in and has. Um, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know how much things have changed with him in the director's chair, but, um, you know, he's definitely creating a movie that sort of adds some, a, a finale to Craig's uh, run with the character. Um, and now, hot off the heels of Remy Malik's Oscar win for Bohemian Rhapsody, um, and because of the delay for the movie, because it was pushed back to, um, I believe, summer of next year, uh, he's now open to star in the movie, and so negotiations for the film have just reopened, and they're they've yet to finalize the deal, but they are working something out, and it's pretty, you know, there's a fairly high like ninety five percent chance that Remy Malek will officially star in this movie, which again is exciting. I don't know JJ if you have followed Remy Malek's career or you know if you just know him from Bohemian Rhapsody, but um, I've I've followed him since. Um, since Night at the Museum, and I've always thought yeah. he was a uh, 
really even in night at the museum i always thought like this guy's really talented and he like get him more stuff he is so good on screen like i've seen the first season of mr robot and he has this this just really human uh feel to him and it's uh it's hard to describe, but he really he really excels at playing characters that are that are unable to really communicate their feelings or just socially awkward characters, as you've seen with as we've seen with uh, with Mister Robot, and again in, in Bohemian Rhapsody, where Freddie Mercury, as portrayed in the movie, is kind of this character who's unable to really um, describe who how he feels internally. Or be just even be happy with who he is on the inside. And you get it kind of flavors of that in Mr. Robot. Um, so I guess have you, JJ, as as an actor, um, yeah. have you sort of you know uh, taken interest in Rami Malek as a, as an actor, or have you you know even really heard of him before Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah, no, I did. I actually started watching his you know some of his things like uh, yeah, the first time I saw him was the same like in A Night in the Museum thought he was such a cool character as a kid um and he's got a really he's just really interesting and he's got he's very raw in his the way he portrays characters and i think it's um it's cool because of his interesting background coming from an egyptian descent you know mm-hmm. and um uh, i thought he you know did an amazing job in what i did see of Miami rhapsody um and he does a great way of just, uh, you know, like any act, good actor should, of just molding to a character and just really personifying a really interesting take on them. And um, and what I have seen of, you know, uh, Mr. Robot, too, um, it's really interesting. The way that it's shot, too, is just really calls on a very strong and um, precise performance. So I, would, I think he would be a fantastic villain. And I think it'd be really interesting. It would be. I would love it if they did it something, you know, in um, in Egypt or something in that uh, geography. I always love seeing films. Mm, that'd be cool. Uh, big action films like that go into places. Um, but anything that I mean, the cool thing about him too is is he can play just a wide variety of ethnicities because of how he looks. And I think oh that's totally. So I think it'll be. I would love to see him in that, you know, that role. I think he would take a really interesting take on a villain. Um, and um, I think it would be really fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. He's got this, like, subtle, and if you watch him in Mr. Robot, you get this ta- this sense that he has this, like, untapped, um, you know, diabolical menace to him. And so, yeah, to see that personified in a Bond villain would be really exciting. And, yeah, I, I you know, Bond films are known for their extravagant locations. So, Who's to say we don't go to Egypt and we find our main villain, his uh, head- headquarters or whatever, located in Egypt? That'd be that'd be super dope. I'd be down for that. Um, so the the report also states that um, in addition to Rami Malek being in final negotiations, uh, actor Billy Magnuson was casted as a CIA agent character that was described to be similar to um, the role of Felix who is kind of a legendary Bond character. He was in the original films with Sean Connery. He was recasted in the Daniel Craig films and hasn't been seen since uh, Quantum of Solace. Uh, So I don't think he's replacing Felix. I think he's just a character that's sort of similar to him. I would love to see Felix 
uh, played by Jeffrey Wright, I believe, from the first two Craig Bond films to come back for this last movie. Uh, and then the casting notice also reports that Ray Fiennes, who played M, uh, Ben Wishaw, who played Q, and Naomi Harris, who played uh, Money Penny, and then Leah Sado, who played uh, Dr. Madeline Swan in in both Skyfall and Spectre, those characters are also coming back for this last movie, which is to be expected since it's a continuation of, uh, you know, Craig's run as Bond. And, you know, you, you can't have Bond without M or Q or Money Penny. Uh, but it's interesting that they bring back the main actress from Spectre. So it, cause it, there's, I don't believe to my knowledge, there's ever been a, a female uh, Bond girl that's been in more than one Bond film with the exception of, um, the woman who appears in in the very first uh, scene in the very first Bond movie, I believe she appears in the first two films as sort of this, like, um, on-and-off relationship with Bond. Like, you, you always see her at the beginning. He's kind of this girl that he just calls when he wants to go on vacation and then just ditches when he's about to go on a mission. <laughs> uh, typical womanizing Bond, I guess. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. They got to they gotta retire that trend. <laughs> they they gotta retire that thing fast (laughs) um but uh yeah so just talking about the movie itself uh you know it'll be nice to see daniel craig have a you know really solid final bond movie because although i liked specter i didn't think it was a satisfying conclusion and i was really worried that daniel craig was going to leave the role when he was like Oh, I'd rather slip my wrist than go back to James Bond. Is like, oh, please don't say that. I want you to come back, man. And yeah. um, luckily, as it's as it seems, he's well, as he's confirmed, he's coming back for this last one. He wants it to be his final one, uh, which is great. Like normally, I'm like, no, crank him out until he dies or whatever. But um, with right. with this, I think you know he's he's had four. He's had, you know, uh, four great movies, um, you know, two out of the which were, you know, okay movies. But, you know, he's had he's had a great run as Bond, and to top it off with this final film will be really exciting. And then also to finally get into casting the next James Bond will be, you know, really exciting to see what they do with the character going forward. Right, right. No, it'll be really interesting. I'm sure, you know, these films are, especially the big action films like this, I mean, they're very taxing on an actor just because of the, not only are you having to worry about a, a good performance, staying in line with the character, but you're also, regardless if you're having somebody else do stunts, you're still having to do a certain degree. You got to be fit. You got to keep a certain physique. You got to, you know, the press. It's, I'm sure it's very taxing. And if he wants to do other roles, he's very limited because he's committed to James Bond, which I'm sure takes up a lot of time so right yeah i think he's been a great james bond and I, i'm i'm glad that they're doing one you know finale for him and um then they can open up to whatever they want to you know whoever's going to play it next you know so, yeah and i think seeing rami malik as a villain in this would be fantastic so i think it'd be it'd be cool to see them take a really interesting um you know uh just try to do something that's a little bit new or something that's just really um interesting um than some of the other bond films i think yeah themselves to utilize geography and utilize some of what's true to rami and um i mean they got so much to play with with rami he can do so much oh yeah yeah I, i'm really excited to see what he does with the role and yeah i mean as we've seen like you know you and i i remember you and i saw uh logan lucky together and he 
you know, Craig has a, such a range, like a vast range of talent. And, you know, I, I think he could he could win an Oscar one day. It's just he's kind of tied down to to Bond. And so once he gets out of that, I'm sure he'll his he's going to be, you know, his phone will be ringing off the line nonstop with with offers and calls because he's got the range. I mean, it was, I was so glad he was able to squeeze in Logan Lucky between these two Bond films. Right. Because he was fantastic in that movie. Um, but yeah, Rami Malek, uh, if he truly does sign on to play the villain, this will really be a, um, you know, this really will be a Bond film, uh, a great Bond film to go out on for Daniel Craig. Um, and you know, now that we know Rami Malek is an Oscar winner, it just adds to the excitement for him playing the villain too. Does that just, you know, and it's funny cause that the, I think the announcement was made just a couple days after uh, the Oscars, so it's, maybe they were waiting to announce that after he won the Oscar, make sure he won the Oscar. So, yeah, it could have been. They were like, "Well, we might as well wait and see. You know, if you win it, then this is going to be great publicity for us. And then if you don't, we'll still announce it. You know." Yeah, and more money for him. Right, right. Because it's like, yeah, now it's like you're yeah. you're dealing with Oscar worthy talent, dude. You I'm can't sure just. Yeah, no, no kidding. I'm sure it's both ways. They've kind of been like, "Well, we're going to wait and see if he wins. We're definitely going to." redo their contract <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but regardless being nominated i think already puts you kind of in that that next money tier oh definitely yeah yeah no, no, nomination is nice a win is a win is a win <laughs> yeah. uh all right well speaking of oscars that leads us into our final top three story um steven spielberg has been in the news recently combating streaming services and specifically netflix um so a report came out a couple days ago, actually a week ago, um, about Spielberg's disapproval of streaming services and how they diminish the theater-going experience, which I kind of ignore because he's been he's been preaching this news since like last year, I think, and I I agree. Like, I like streaming services, but I prefer the old-fashioned go to the theater, watch a movie, be in a dark room, big screen. You know, there's there's nothing on earth quite like going to see a movie, and uh, so what happens happened was we also got a report that Spielberg um, was continuing on this sort of this uh, uh, this combating with Netflix and streaming services, and now it's been reported that um, the next uh, Academy meeting. Uh, which he is a, the the governor for on the director side. He is going to um, voice his disapproval of streaming services and Netflix specifically being involved in the Oscars and call for a vote to remove Netflix from eligibility for uh, getting their films nominated for Oscars. Yeah. So, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's interesting. I mean, like I think it's my my take on it is he's. Um, as much as I love Steven, Stevie Boy, you gotta Stevie. let go of your sentimentality, and because um, it comes down to this: like, isn't the point to make great films that are gonna inspire people? And what's you know, and I get you wanting you wanting to have this romantic thing that happens at the end, which is put your movie in a theater. I get that, but at the end of the day, the point is to reach more is to reach people and to tell your story and. By far, these streaming services get you in front of a lot more people, a lot more diverse, you know, uh, audiences. I think they Netflix has made a good point about 
you know, there's a lot of areas in the country that don't have access to theaters or people, you know, can afford $10 a month, but they can't afford $10 a movie. Um, so right, they get to yeah. watch these films. And I think it's it should be more about the art and not so much about the distribution. As long as people are seeing it and you're getting paid, what, why do you care? And um, I don't, I think it's, I don't think, I don't see any argument about Netflix not being able to compete in the Oscars uh, um, because it's about the movie or it should be that's what the Oscars are for to celebrate art not to celebrate which distribution it came from and right. um, in Netflix and Amazon you know Amazon before was releasing movies in theaters and they just announced that they're they're not going to be doing that anymore they're going to be releasing things directly on their um, on their site immediately just like Netflix has been um, and you know but Netflix has bent its model and allows you know like Scorsese um, is going to be releasing his new movie um, in, in theaters. The like, Irishman. You know, and, uh, yeah, The Irishman in theaters for a little bit, and they're also going to do it um, on Netflix. They're not, they haven't announced in what order or both together, but mm-hmm. um, I think it would be, I would love to see Netflix and Amazon still release films in theaters because I love the theater-going experience. I definitely, I think a lot of people still do. I don't think that'll ever fully go away because people love going to the theater, but at the same time, to just eliminate them from the from running in the Oscars or having the ability to compete just because of the distribution form that they have, I think doesn't is the complete opposite of what the Oscars are supposed to be intended for. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is an b- interesting situation because, to my knowledge, um, the way Netflix does this is, you know, I think the the rules are you have to at the bare minimum, release your movie in a public theater for at least 12 days um, for people, for audiences to see. Um, and then you're, you know, sort of eligible for that that Oscar contention, which Netflix has done occasionally. Um, sure. Like they did it with Roma. They did it, they're going to do it with The Irishman, I believe. Um, yeah. But the, I guess the problem with that is they're, they are doing the bare minimum. Um, like it's not, it, and, and also Netflix has gotten away with loopholes of not releasing, like Beasts of No Nation was, oh no, it, it was released in theaters, never mind. You know, they get away with that loophole and they, they don't really play by the Academy's uh, rules and yet they still get accepted into the Oscars. I think that's that's kind of the main point that Steven Spielberg is, is uh, concerning. And I think it's a good point. Like, I think he's, I think... What he wants to do, I don't think should happen. Like, he, I don't think that the Academy should just, you know, kick Netflix out of the competition because they're now involved with the MPAA. Like, Netflix officially gets, like, the GPG-13R ratings now. So they're kind of becoming more and more official with every year. And so, you know, I think if Netflix wants to be taken seriously and wants to play with the big boys, they do need to... Um, play by the rules of the Academy because every other studio does. So, I mean, and I know that the streaming service is, you know, it's a different case. It's a different distribution format. I I totally get that. But if they really want their movies to be, you know, in for Oscar contention, um, why not? Because also uh, I think Spielberg pointed this out too, you know, like TV movies, like what TV movies that premiere on like, no, like NBC or ABC stuff like that. Um, those don't get considered for Oscars. They get considered for um, Golden Globes or Emmys. 
and you know Netflix. Steven Spielberg is, vo- is saying that Netflix should fall under that category if they keep going the way they're going. So I think well, what he yeah. wants, yeah, I I just think that that what should happen is is Netflix just needs to change up their game a little bit to follow the Academy's rules and play by their game instead of trying to you know chase the loopholes to avoid those rules. Well. I would I would argue the point that the whole reason of the 12 day release and those standards being in place was before streaming services and things like this were available to make sure that audiences at least had a chance to see it. So they had to make some rule of saying, you know, we have to it has to be out in theaters at least this many theaters for this amount of time. But now that's not needed to be able for audience to see it. And so that is a that's just an ancient rule that was made for you know before these things existed. So if anything, I think the the, the academy should change their rules to adapt to the modern market. Right. And but the whole thing is a power play anyway, and I think that's where he he's taking advantage of his position. I don't know, yeah, how much is really a problem. It seems like it's more of like a, Spielberg has a personal beef with it, and he's using his not only his his power and his stance of being a filmmaker for so long, but also utilizing the flaws of the Academy, which is that it's not really about the art, it's about the business. And that's where the Oscars are, you know, the Academy is going to be in a bad position because um, they're all about the money and the power and the, you know, playing the political game. And right now, Netflix and these streaming services, they're on top, you know, because they own, they own a lot of these properties that are making way more or doing a lot better than any, a lot of things that are being released. Mm-hmm. And they're releasing, in my opinion, and I think it's true because of the the filmmakers is attracting. They're releasing films that no studio is willing to do anymore and release into theaters um, because they know which markets they can go to. And so there's a lot more diverse stories that you used to be able to see in theaters that aren't told anymore, mm-hmm. uh, just strictly because it's like, well, we don't know if that's going to make money. We're not interested. Um, and the streaming service can go, I know exactly which audience will be interested in this. And it just folds into our, you know, into our library. So, yeah, I, I think it's Steven Spielberg's kind of putting himself and making himself look bad because it looks like an old grandpa arguing about the Internet not being important. It's like, sorry, it's an old way of thinking. I love your films, but I would love to see your stuff on Netflix, too. You know, mm-hmm. I would love to see there be um, like I was saying, I think. It would be really interesting to see um, streaming service release release their um, their stuff into theaters. I think it'll just come to you know what's going to make money for both parties, and yeah. um, as long as it's something that can perhaps be profitable for them to release and also keep viewership on their streaming services, um, I think they'll move in that direction. And I would like to see it because I would love to see some of these Netflix films in theaters. I think you would agree too, you know, or you know uh, Amazon's movies, and then also. Disney's coming out with a big streaming service, and so is Apple at some point. So um, the market's changing, and I think it's just the growing pains, and he's kind of he's standing for something that's really not got an argument on the artistic level. It kind of just makes me mad because it's right in line with like just like a personal problem and what the Academy thinks politically should happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, from a business end, it does it does make sense that the streaming services do what they do, and I and I get that Netflix, you know, their purpose is to make movies more accessible to people and it's definitely something that you know has made the art more accessible it's a great thing and i don't think spielberg realizes that but i do i do get where he's coming from i guess from a more nostalgic perspective um you know the the theater going experience is kind of under um you know the people suspect like oh 
movie theaters may not be around for a while, and you know, we I don't know when they're gonna die off eventually, but um, it's it you know again it, it's a it's a you know cathartic and and sort of out of body experience going to see a movie at the theater. It, it's it's can be you know it can be a shitty time or it can be you know really incredible and fun. Uh, and I think he's really trying to defend that. Which I can I can get, but I also see the business side, which is these streaming services <clears throat> want to be taken seriously and should be taken seriously. Um, I think the academy just needs to get yeah, change up their rules to the point where th- we can see Netflix and Amazon and other streaming services have the eligibility, but um, also not just completely cave uh, to. Uh, you know these streaming services. Uh, you know there, there there needs to be a middle ground. I think between the, the Academy and Netflix and whatever other streaming services want to be accountable for Oscars. Um, there 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 needs to be a middle ground, and I hope that 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 that's what the Academy decides on instead of just oh yeah let's just you know screw the streaming services let's just get rid of them all because you know you you could say that this year's Oscars was a little bit predictable like. Not a lot of the nominations were particularly exciting films, and uh, you know, with the exception of maybe Black Panther, but um, just because it was such an interesting choice. But um, well, I think it's another thing that would be is interesting too is that the Academy knows that nobody, a lot of people don't care about them anymore. That people yeah. have kind of called their bluff. That it's all a business transaction. It's not really about the films that it was originally intended for. And luckily this year they were, because of their own stupidity, they were forced into not having a host, which caused their ratings to go up because people were like, okay, cool. There's not this stupid political take on things. Right. Um, and it's, it, they just, people have called their bluff. And I think it's kind of done where even people in the film industry don't even care to watch anymore. Uh, it's because it's not really about celebrating art. It's about, okay, well, who, who, who was able to be politically correct and run the, the business circuit properly? Yeah, um, exactly. In the best, and so the whole argument to me is just like, it, it, if it's really about art, which we already know that Academy's not about, then they shouldn't care where it comes from and how it's distributed. It should be about the movie itself, without eliminating anything that has to do with the distribution. Mm-hmm. Why, why does the distribution matter if it's a celebration of art as long as we know that you know I, I get they have to weigh like how many people actually got to see this because if it's something that nobody's seen it's like what even is this film um, I think there's a, a need to weigh that but I don't think that should be I don't think that they should weigh what how that is distributed I think it should be you know how many people got to see this was a decent amount yeah and then you know I think the because, theatrical distribution is, is an essential component to eligibility but um you know i think the, you know like the the bare minimum release for 12 weeks or whatever 12 days whatever it is in uh, in uh, uh la or new york which they what do they normally do you know i think that's a fine um uh sort of uh middle ground um right. but yeah well you know we'll see what happens i don't think spielberg is going to get away with this though because there's like you say there's just so much love for netflix and the accessibility they bring um and you know people no one would have seen roma if netflix hadn't picked it up and distributed it and no one would have even turned it down yeah right yeah and no one would have 
I, I can't even think of what other other movies are out there. But you know, there there are tons of movies that no one would have actually been able to have seen if right. Netflix hadn't picked them up. And like you say, they are picking up movies that theaters will not release. So right. there's something to be said about what they're doing and and you know allowing them to just be. But again, right. their accountability for the Oscars I think should be sort of renegotiated with the Academy. So. We'll we'll see how this story plays out, but um, I don't think Spielberg is completely in the right on this one. Right, right. It's interesting. Yeah, it's it, it's coming to a point. The industry's changed to the point now where um, it wasn't just like oh these you know this is kind of a new age thing with these streaming services are cute. We'll see what happens. It's now to the point where it's like okay, they're both at the middle ground of you know how is this going to play out in the long term, and um, you know we might be. It, eliminating i don't think we'd ever eliminate the academy awards but it's becoming smaller and smaller and smaller because people just care less and less and less right and they have access to these things that are what they want to see not really what other people want to determine what is good right yeah i think you hit you hit the dot <laughs> it's uh yeah people don't really care anymore and because the the academy awards are just they're not it's not about the art it's about yeah the politics the viewership and, you know, hopefully that changes going forward, but, um, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see. All right, well, that was our top three running down the list again. That was Rotten Tomatoes removes audience reviews prior to movies coming out in response to uh, Captain Marvel and Star Wars Nine Trolls. Remy Malik in talks for Bond 25 and Spielberg voices disapproval of streaming services being uh, eligible for Oscar nominations. And now we move on to our topic of the week. Uh, again, as I hinted at, um, the reason why I wanted JJ on the show today uh, is because you know we both saw Alita, Alita Battle Angel around the same time, and we both kind of had the same reaction where we both loved the the world building, the characters, um, and just you know they created this. Well, I guess not created. You know, it was based on a manga, which was based on an anime, which well no based on an anime which was based on a manga um and so you know having the blueprint for that world they were able to sort of um give it life but just the um you know just the what went into that world building what went into the characters um you know in a way you could count this as kind of a review of alita but we're also just sort of examining the more intricate elements of uh the world uh we're also going to talk about james cameron and you know just like I say, he's kind of the the king of innovative film directors, in my opinion. I mean, every time he makes a movie, he's always pushing the envelope of technology and making things better and better. I mean, we're in sort of this technological age we're in because of James Cameron. And then we also want to talk about the box office, because that's a very interesting case, uh, both here in the state and internationally, and what that means for a possible sequel. So, uh, Jesus, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you. Um, <clears throat> as I said, just with you sort of recently doing a lot of uh, world building with Roy and sort of the offshoot of that going forward. Um, what did you like when you saw the movie and you sort of experienced this this world that was created around it and, all, and just sort of the the intricate reasoning behind everything and and how everything worked. Um, you know, how did that, uh, you know, what did that mean to you? How did that speak to you as sort of being in this process? Yeah, it's, you know, when I first saw the trailer, I was, I was intrigued by it, but I was like, man, this is going to be like a, 
an action film that has got no heart, you know, that's got nothing at its center. Like a lot of films that we've seen kind of do that um, mm-hmm. when there are these big, you know, VFX movies. Um, it looks like a tween movie. What's that? I said it looks like a like a tween, like a like a Twilight or a or a Hunger Games yeah, or something like just, that. Yeah, it didn't really strike anything true to me, at least from the first trailer. And then the second trailer came out and gave you more of the story, which I think was a very smart marketing tactic, was to at least get you a strong sense of the story and then I was all of a sudden really interested and I was um, you know outside of pushing the technology um, I thought it was just really interesting that they were just showing this new world I was really interested in that um, some of it was very familiar some of it was a little bit different and um, when I went and saw the film I went in with no expectations I was actually well I guess my expectations of anything were that it wasn't going to be that good um, and it came out thinking being really pleasantly surprised it's not anything like spectacular as far as story but it definitely had carried me emotionally kept me engaged and i had you know there were certain flaws that i saw in it that i would adjust but overall the movie was very strong and um i i just loved the way that they built everything and the way james Cameron you know had thought through i think his big thing was pushing the technology i think he did justice to the anime side of things uh where this you know alita the story originally came from um the performances were interesting um yeah I, overall i just was really intrigued and you know as it correlates to world building and the films that i'm working on and then you know there's a whole show that i'm developing right now in the vein of roy and you know world building is really important and those are the, you know the biggest franchises that you love or that you remember as a kid are you know either it be star wars lord of the rings um indiana jones all these things had one thing in common and that is a sense of this huge world and the aesthetic that just you love um that you want to get in a costume on halloween because you're like oh i want to like feel what it feels like you know as a kid um they're just so intriguing and you want to see more of it and that's where alita did a great job i think they kind of limited i would have liked to actually see more i think they kind of limited it a little bit just to stay intact with what the original anime was um but overall, as far as its aesthetic, that's kind of what really intrigued me was just seeing how left field this kind of is for what we see come out in America um, most of the time. And at the same time, I felt like they kind of played it a little too safe on certain things as far as it felt like a lot of sci-fi movies I've already seen as far as, you know, it didn't let me show, see too much of the world that was different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the amount I did see was really interesting. In particular... When they play, you know, if you see the movie, uh, there's a scene where they're playing this particular game on roller roller skates. Um, I can't remember what the name of the game is, but it was just really interesting to kind of show like a cultural culture of this world and like that there's a certain game to play. Things like that are always super interesting to me because you're like, well, this is something new. You can relate to it because it relates to certain things in our world, but at the same time, you're like, oh, well, this would be cool if this was in ours. You know, you kind of get into this interesting culture um and i love that aspect of the film i just would have liked to have even seen more of it in this and maybe they will that's why i'm hoping that there will be a sequel to this or that they'll play on more i think from my knowledge i don't know for sure i don't know if you know this Vinny, but i don't know if alita the whole where it came from as far as anime if it was a series of stories or if alita battle angel was a one thing um but it seems like it was a world and they're planning on maybe playing in that more yeah, so um, 
from my research, the um, I'm actually looking up the the name of that game because the the roller blade game. Uh, oh, motorball. That's what it's called. That's right, motorball. Yeah. So, um, from so, sorry, what what did you ask again? <laughs> uh, I asked if you knew like if Alita was a the battle angel was like a one one story from anime or if it was like a world and this character played into several stories and in, in, in the uh in anime it came from yeah so so it started out as a as a manga which is essentially just a japanese comic book called um i believe it was called um i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher this but i'll, I'll give it my best shot it was called um gundam <laughs> it was called gundam by um Yuki, yukito kishiro Yukito Kishiro, and um, it was like a whole series of manga books. It was like a, a whole ton of them. And uh, it was actually called... Um, so Gundam translates into Gun Dream, um, but it, in, it was actually translated to... Uh, in English, it was called um, Battle Angel Alita instead of Alita Battle Angel. Um, and it was a, a black-and-white manga, um, which was then turned into an anime... Um, so, and the anime only covers, like, a couple of the books, and the movie, from what I, from what I researched, only cover, sort of takes on, like, maybe the first book and then borrows elements, because I don't think, I don't think Motorball was in the first book, from what I researched, I think they sort of borrowed that from another element, or from another book, um, but, but the, but they've, there, it's just this giant, world because they uh, the interview i watched with james cameron he talks about how the the books cover like you know we see the the main city um which uh i don't know what it's called uh i wish i knew these things but well, there's iron city which is like the, the iron city yeah yeah so that they're, they're, they're yeah, I, I forget what the name of the the world that's above them is uh yeah it's oh my gosh i literally just researched that name um but uh i'll look i'll look for it while we're while we're talking but um but yeah so the the so the middle ground the middle world was um oh zalem zalem was the the the, the, the yeah so zalem was is kind of like the the upper class sort of like this almost this like heavenly place that people get to um james cameron used the analogy of like people like looking across the border to america at like this this great place um where you know you can like start over have a have a you know bright future um if you come over legally (laughs) not to get into that but um anyways uh so that's what zalem is and then below that is this middle class um society of iron city which is you know sort of built upon um, technology, you know, there's like these intricate cars, uh, you know, these giant one-wheeled motorcycles. Then you have these um, these uh, warriors um, who sort of hunt down these uh, these robots or these cyborgs that hunt down uh, hunter warriors that um, hunt down uh, robots that. Um, try to you know hurt the city or something like that i don't remember too much but uh you know alita her father played by christoph waltz who brings it christoph waltz my man um he uh 
he is one of these hunter warriors and that inspires Alita to be <clears throat> Alita to become one of those. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, I'm, I'm just talking about the world. So, <laughs> so, and so, so those are the only two levels we talk about in the movie, but <clears throat> from what I've heard, there are like multiple, like other worlds. Like there is an underground world underneath iron city and there's above um, Zalem, there is another um, like sky world above Zalem that we haven't even seen. So the reason, you know, you mentioned that they didn't touch on much and you wish they expanded on more. The reason why they didn't go into so much is because there was so much to explore and there yeah. just wasn't, they just wanted to, you know, one, they couldn't cover it in, in one movie and two, they wanted to save room for continuing the story and exploring these worlds in a sequel right and it looks like i mean from I mean, obviously for those who haven't seen it i'm not going to spoil anything but it ends basically with um in the with the ability to go on for more things and i think yeah and that's where i'm excited i hope that they do um i hope that they do renew it for a, you know some a, another film um which kind of leads a little bit into like the box office which is a really interesting way that this played out. Yeah, um, yeah. So, sorry, so go, go what, ahead. Well, the production budget itself is $170 million, which is a very expensive movie. Mm-hmm. And then, um, which doesn't include, and I think some people forget about this when they look up like box office mojo and stuff, the 170 is just the production budget. That doesn't include marketing. That doesn't include um, extra things that come into a film. So, this could very well be over two hundred million, um, as far as its overall budget. So, it may, you know, at least this point. And also, Box Office Mojo isn't always accurate. There's a lot of things it just takes in, doesn't take in all the details. So, mm-hmm. I imagine this probably has made a little bit more than what they say. But overall, it's made three hundred fifty million uh, and a half. Oh wow, so that's what, that's more than I thought it had already made. <laughs> yeah, well, and foreign was said eighty percent of their market. Was right. foreign, which I imagine is China, Japan, mostly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's made back. It basically broke even, I would imagine, or like in as as far as studio terms. Because for people that don't know, when you have a, in order for a film to be successful, it has to make more than double its budget. Um, so this one barely, you know, it made one hundred and eighty million. You know, because if you take away all the expenses, it probably made about 150 million, maybe 100 million, which seems like a lot, but in studio terms, it's not. Um, so it's it's kind of a middle ground where it's that will be the hardest thing I think James Cameron will have to face is convincing this box again to um, to do another one. Because mm-hmm. um, is the audience there more now because they've seen Alita: Battle Angel? Because I mean. Audiences, here's an interesting thing, too, leading into, like, the critics hated it. Or not necessarily hated it, but they really didn't like it that much. Yeah. And then um, the audiences loved it. I mean, it's if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 60% rotten, you know, for critics and then 94% on audience ratings. Yeah. Um, I'd say about half the critics enjoyed it. Yeah. I think half, which isn't, you know, the greatest. Mm-hmm. It's not terrible, but... Better than I expected. <laughs> Right, right. So I think it's definitely audiences love the movie, and I, I imagine even obviously even more so in foreign markets they love things like this. They love sci-fi, and mm-hmm. obviously it comes from you know 
from the anime and stuff that they're familiar with the books. So it comes from their culture a lot. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it makes sense that it did well over there. Didn't do well in our market, but there's definitely an audience here that really likes it too. So. Oh yeah, I remember um, when I was working at the theater. I think last week. Um, I saw dad take his two girls to see Alita. And sometimes when I'm cleaning out the ears, I'll actually, cause I love the ending. Like the last 10, the last five minutes when she's, um, you know what? Screw it. Spoilers for Alita battle angel turn back. I'm going to spoil it. This, this is just a, such a cool moment. Um, you know, when, when, uh, Hugo is on the big, um, uh, the rope connector thingy. And Alita's yeah. chasing her, and he's got his robot body too, so uh, he's a little unused to the things and kind of vulnerable. And then the big uh, uh, circular uh, cutter thing comes down, and his body cuts, and you know his arms cut off, his legs cut off, and Alita, you know, he has to. Oh my gosh, I have never felt such like uh, such an adrenaline rush and just complete fear for a character in that right. moment than I did right now. It's been such a long time. It's just like, oh my gosh. And it's a tribute to Robert Rodriguez and, and Rosa Salazar who plays Alita and, and um, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Uh, the kid who plays um, uh, Hugo. I can't remember his name. But um, it's just a beautiful combination of all that. And the visual effects too. It's just, oh man. And when he, and when he dies, it's like, Oh no, no, you were supposed to damn you guys. He died. I I I it just I never I haven't felt that feeling in a movie theater for so long. And the fact that I got that from Alita just it was a, a great way to top things off as sad as it was. It's just like, yes, I, I'm ready for more. Let's get more Alita. <laughs> uh, and so, I guess more to the point. People are going like every time I go into the theater um, and watch the ending. I, I see a, 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 I'd say it's about maybe sometimes maybe half full or of a, or a quarter of the way full, um, which still isn't much, but people are going to see Alita and really like it. I actually, when I was trying to pull up box office mojo, <laughs> I saw a headline saying people are skipping Captain Marvel to go see Alita, which I guess, uh, can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, but it's just, it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Pick your right. feminist hero, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, you know, guess, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what you get for, for, uh, you know, not wanting white men in your, in your press tours, but you know, to each his own. <laughs> well, and I think one thing that was interesting about Alita was, you know, it's definitely like, uh, I think it's a good version of women empowerment because, Yes. They focused on making yeah. a very interesting character in Alita that also in correlation with the story is a very strong woman, like women character, you know, that's strong for young girls and things to look up to, to stand against evil, to stand against, you know, you know, these things, but it's, it correlates with the story. It's not pushing itself to try to be that. And I, that's what I liked about it. Cause I didn't even really think about, you know, the words woman empowerment or anything when I was watching it. Nothing like that crossed my mind. It wasn't until afterwards when I was watching interviews that they were talking about, you know, we want this to be something that was strong women empowerment, which, you know, you could say is maybe more of a marketing ploy, but, and I was like, oh, I guess it is, you know, but I, I was like, well, that's well done because I'm usually 
my bullshit radar goes on immediately when I see films that are like, oh, we're just going to make women empowerment or whatever the, the political take is. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. Yeah, it's, it seems like that's just a marketing ploy and that it doesn't really mean anything anymore, which is a shame because I, I think, yeah, women should be represented fairly on screen. And I, and I, I think I texted you right after I got out of the movie um, right. is that I loved the fact that Alita was this badass warrior, but she had this, this um, very lighthearted, genuine love for life, which is very rare in a character nowadays, like, you know, characters are very dark and brooding now. And Alita, you know, she was, she was a hardened warrior and she has the body of a hardened warrior. But when we, when we meet her, when she kind of has this new, this new identity, this new life she takes on, she has this, this such affection for learning and discovering things like the, just the little things like her biting into an orange and not, and not taking yeah, off the peel and then yeah. she takes off the peel and is like this is so good and then <laughs> and then her tasting chocolate it's like like no 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 i don't like orange anymore this is my favorite food now it's just like those little things that yeah. that james cameron and robert rodriguez kept in the script are just so like those are the little character moments that i live for and it made right. me fall in love with this character and want to uh, follow her so that when she yeah. does become this that when when near the end when she does sort of take on this more her more um, warrior like persona, it's not out of this out of her having to prove anything to, to anybody. It's it's out of her wanting to protect the people she loves and protect the life and the world that she has. And right. I just found that to be so delightful. It, it was just so rare yeah. to see that in a character. I I just that, that's why I think she's such a strong character and like you say a great role model for for girls um right. today i mean I, I i sort of liken it to wonder woman i thought Wonder Woman was really great in how it portrayed um and portrayed her portrayed wonder woman um and just the fact that she she kind of had this um naiveness to her um and she sort of grows and learns from that and she has this you know again this sort of love for life and learning and you know, near the end, she she does what she does at the end, Wonder Woman, because um, because of this this love, this desire for for protecting good and innocence, and um, you know, I think that's something that that really is something what women characters really sort of excel at that men characters at least. You know, most men characters can't really pull off, and so I think that's something that we we should pay attention to when it when it comes to women characters. Is just this, um, trying to find the right words here, but like you know, this this um, this gentleness, but then this this also this strong nature that you know women can be um, warriors and heroes. Um, but they bring this sort of gentle, uh, almost like motherly touch to it. And I think that's something that, you know, we don't value in woman characters nowadays. Um, and certain filmmakers like Patty Jenkins and, and James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez have really exemplified with those two characters. And so went off on a right. rabbit trail, but that's something I really valued and really appreciated about Alita and how that she had this sort of, um, affection for her, for life and discovery and, her, 
you know, when she takes on her warrior persona, it's it's not because she's this badass that has to prove anything. It's about her defending those she loves and the and the life she loves. Right. Right. And, and I think sorry, go really, ahead. I think the their strong point and the point that I would say I wanted more more to see more was I think they did a fantastic job of of developing Alita's character. And like making us really care, and I guess I would have liked to have seen that more in the other characters in the film, because mm-hmm. uh, some of them kind of lacked um, for me anyway. Uh, where I wanted to see them more, not to the point where I distracted necessarily from the story, but I was like, well, I would have liked to have known them better before this happened, you know? Yeah, which, which uh, characters were you sort of wanting well, more from? Ones that didn't make sense to me were, um, I guess Hugo. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. I think they did a pretty good job. I'd give it a 70% on him. Yeah, I'd say uh, he was passable. Yeah, and then I guess the main, the biggest character for me that I really wanted to know more about before it happened, and maybe we'll see more of her, is the, uh, is the, um, oh, what's her name? Um, it's the character that, um, oh, uh, that Jennifer, it's... Jennifer Connelly's character? Yeah, it was like, I wanted to see... Like, I felt it was a little awkward that Jennifer Connelly and Christopher Waltz characters together, because they obviously were married at one point, and then they kind of introduced that, like, obviously that a tragedy happened, which caused their split, but I guess some of it didn't make emotional sense to me, and then she kind of just dies off pretty soon and really decides very quickly to be on Alita's side. Um, <clears throat> I guess it was like, I didn't see the progression of that thought emotionally for her. Yeah. Um, it just happened really quickly when she was all like she started off as this really hard ass character that was almost a villain and then all of a sudden she switches and it was just a little awkward for me but she's still technically alive because she's been harvested um yeah so i was conf- what was that her in the movie when she was yeah, like the, the, the eyes and the brain and the little chest i was like wait is that her like i was really confused about that that was one of my yeah so like it, when she the shot before that before it cuts to the other scene when she goes i'm done the machine or whatever comes in and basically cuts her up and harvests her brain and her eyes and her heart because mm. he wants to keep her knowledge and then that's her being kept alive and conscious in this you know machine and then uh so obviously she's probably gonna play in and maybe she'll become a cyborg in the next installment or something like that mm, yeah that would be interesting so we might see more of it, I guess, in the, the context of just this movie. I was a little bit like, her character didn't play out very well for me, um, even though I wanted it to. So there was just some things. Like uh, like we both have agreed, I think we're kind of on the same page as far as like, there was things that weren't perfect in it, but overall it was it was an engaging story. It was fun. It was something you'd want to go see again. You know, it was like, I love movies like that where it's not like, it's exhausting and I don't want to see it again because the story's so heavy. And then I don't like movies that are like just so actiony that you're like, this is just stupid. Why do I care? Mm-hmm. It was a good medium, and I think it could have benefited from a little bit of stronger stuff. But overall, it was I really like it. Yeah, so. no, hundred percent agree. And uh, yeah, I think Jennifer Connelly and the villains, just in general, were kind of a weak point. They didn't really add much to the movie. You could have casted anybody in that role, which is sad because you know Mahersha Ali, who won the best supporting actor Oscar for, for green book. Um, you know, he, he gives a good performance, but you, you feel like he could have done so much more with that role, given the right. fact that he's, he's now a two time Oscar nominee. It's like, really? And that's all you got for him. Like, come on. Right. And I think the, the one villain that they did flesh 
Josh out that I would have liked to have seen the same done from Mahash uh, Ali is um, is Edge uh, is it Screen or Sheeran Sheen? Edge Shreekins, yeah. something like that. Yeah, he was great. Like, I loved him. Man. Yeah, I loved his character. Like I felt like that was a really you know interesting you know kind of bully character that I liked his whole arc um, and how it ends with him. But uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen it more with um, with Vector, and then also really interesting how it ended. You know, with um, when the guy takes off, the guy who lives up above that's kind of seeing all these things. Um, who, when he takes off his glasses, we see it's the actor. Uh, what's his name? It's Edward um, Norton, freaking Hulk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was so I was like, like, wait a minute. I, I remember squinting. I was like, that's Edward Norton. And my my buddy that was with me is like, I couldn't tell who that was. It's like, that was Edward Norton. It's like. No. Yeah. So we, we, we like Googled it and I was like, told you so. It was Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah. No. So I'm, I'm really excited. It definitely seems like they really want to make a second one. They were setting it up for that. I think they were hoping for a better box office. But I think, um, I think part of it was that there was, uh, there's an interest, I think, vastly for this story, not uh, only just foreign, but in this in the u.s market i just think that they weren't really prepped and like they but now that it's out it could play either way either the next one would do even worse and it will bomb or um or it's going to be now people are like oh this is actually really good because i feel like this is a movie that kind of was started out slow because people didn't really know about the story but then when people started seeing it and the word of mouth spread it was like like I told you, it was like, you know, if you hadn't, weren't planning on seeing it, and I told other people, I'm like, you guys gotta go see this movie. It's it's actually pretty good, because it, yeah. it comes off as this cheesy action film, just because of all the other stupid films that we've seen come to the U.S. market mm-hmm. in this vein. And this one actually has some heart. Yeah. Yeah, I hope, I hope Joe gets around to seeing this. I think he, he'll love the crap out of it. Yeah, and I pushed him to see it. I think I might actually see it again tonight with, I'm trying to make Nick, Nick and uh, Lexi Nick Aleo and Lexi Lovetier go see it. Um, oh, yeah. It, it plays, it's, I was really voting for it, too, because it's a great reference for the show that I'm developing um, and for the writer's room. It's not any, it, you know, there's a lot that's totally different in our story, but there's things and elements in this that, as far as its world building and the way that they do their cyborgs and things that really play strongly in, as a reference. Um, and I was, I really hope it does well. Because it'll be a big reference for pitching it too. So, mm-hmm, definitely, yeah. So, um, just doing the math, uh, you, you said 170 million dollar budget, and it needs to make at least twice that much to break even. That's not even counting marketing. So, um, I, I think that's like so double the budget will be roughly like 280 million dollars. I think so. Um, Technically, yeah. it's it's already broken even with three hundred fifty million five hundred forty. Yeah, it's and a half. I, I calculated out that it's it's made about one hundred eighty million, so it made a little over the amount. So it's it's um, one of those things where it's in studio terms, it kind of broke even. Maybe made a little bit of money, mm-hmm. but um, not really an impressive amount. So yeah, we'll have to see. But, I mean, I think it's still got a couple weeks before it actually ends its theatrical run because it's still playing in theaters um so i think i think there's a chance especially with the huge um huge presence from the international market i mean like 79 percent of of the gross 
uh, came right. from that. Um, so yeah, I guess getting onto the sequel talk, I think there is, I mean, you know, I, I've learned never to doubt James Cameron. Like if his, if his fingerprints are even slightly on something, it's usually either like Alita, like really good, but just barely misses the mark or excellent, like Avatar or Titanic. And I think this movie really has a chance of continuing on, especially with James Cameron, um, at the helm as a producer and you know the the, the guy is like stupid rich so, i mean right. so affording another you know maybe maybe cutting down the budget to 100 million or or you know somewhat smaller than that i'm not sure how small how much smaller well, you I can think go one thing is, yeah i, I think, think you i think you could potentially you know make us i mean you know that that's like a sneeze for him you know i feel like a like a hundred million dollar movie for him is just like Oh yeah, let me just fish it out of my wallet. Here you go, <laughs> make <Right>. your movie. <laughs> well, and I think um, you know, referencing you know, like Avatar and stuff. I think it's um, his audience for rating for that was even lower, and I mean, obviously that was a huge box office success. But um, I think I think there's something said because it's got such a strong audience and fan base that. I'm hoping that that will be enough to convince the studio to take it on um, for the sequel. Because I, I have a feeling it'll it'll do better in the sequel since they've seen this one. It'll be, you know, time will tell. It's going to be another probably two years before we would see that. But um, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, one last thing I want to discuss is um, just talking about James Cameron again. Uh, it's really interesting because this movie's been in the works for almost 20 years. Um James Cameron's wanted to direct this movie for for years now, and um, once he I, I I read I I saw in an interview he said once he realized he wanted to do these quadrillion Avatar sequels he was like well I'm not gonna be able to direct Alita and so he was like having some random conversation with uh, um, Robert Rodriguez who's known for like Sin City and uh, um, Machete stuff like that. Right. And uh, they were, I think it was like just about to shut the car door. And he was like, so what do you got? Like, what projects are you working on? And he stopped himself and he's like, I think then and there he told him about Alita and, and asked him if he would be interested. And then, you know, the rest was history. And, and it's, just, right. it's just such a unique collaboration because never in a thousand years would I have thought someone like Robert Rodriguez, who does very Tarantino-esque movies – We'll be working with somebody as as sort of a, a grandeur and sort of a um, just legendary and and uh, trying to think of the right words to describe this guy, but you know he's like a movie god basically. Um, not to discredit Robert Rodriguez, but just you know they're, they're they're two names you'd never thought would be in the same room together, and but they right. really they really hit it off apparently and. Um, you know, they, they really sort of understood the world and the character, the character most of all. Um, and to the point where, you know, James Cameron felt very, uh, very safe about putting Alita in his hands. And, right. um, you know, it's hard to say where the, because the script kind of um, was tweaked by Robert Rodriguez and then, you know, worked on by James Cameron as well. So, you know, it's I, I, that was my big issue was sometimes the script would be a little cliche so it's hard to tell whose fault it was but um 
the overall collaboration of those two directors, I think, is or is just something to really be exemplified, and it's it's an incredible collaboration. I mean, it's kind of a really it, it's sort of a the perfect example of a producer and a director working together because James Cameron had heart and soul invested into this thing, but Robert Rodriguez also did as well. And James Cameron would come on set occasionally to check out how things were going, but you know that director intuition is always going to kick in and he always backed off when he knew he was he was interfering too much um so just uh you know i think you and i've had sort of that that experience um director director producer relationship on set uh you know many times before so um you know we've definitely i think we've definitely learned from those experiences but um it's just so cool to see a a really um at least hear about a uh, relationship like that for between director and producer where both of them really have like a, a genuine excitement and heart and soul poured into the project and um, really know what they have on their hands. Yeah. And I know this, I think it's all going to play in. We'll see if he has, you know, how his schedule works out too, because he's got avatar two, three and four, you know, lined up for 2020, 2022 and 2024. Um, Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, I think they just finished filming on like the first two sequels. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely excited for for Avatar. Like I said, I've I've learned never to doubt James Cameron. So if he's attached, I'll I'll see it. Because Avatar, right. I I just rewatched it. It's not a bad movie. People crap on that movie all the time, and it's like, what's wrong with it? Yeah, it's kind of like Pocahontas, but like. What movie isn't like Pocahontas, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. People loved it. It was engaging, and people can trash on it now all they want, but I'm like, it's, it's, uh, at the time, it was revolutionary, and people, it made a shit ton of money. Second highest grossing movie of all time. I mean, crap on all you want. That's, or, or, what is, is it the first? One of the highest grossing movies of all time, so. It's definitely the top five, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, at the time, it, it passed the highest grossing. I think now there's been other movies, but like... Yeah. Well, no, no. I, I think it's still up top because I don't even think... Because I know Titanic and Avatar are the top two. I just don't know which one's which. I'm pretty sure Avatar is the is, is number one and Titanic's number two. Because I don't even think like Avengers hasn't... Oh, you're right. Hasn't yeah. t- oh, is, is it Avatar? Let me see. All time. Yeah, Avatar is still the top. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't like like Infinity War never never topped that. Uh, uh, Star Wars has never topped that. Like no other movie has ever even come as as uh, been able to dethrone them. I don't know if they ever will. Maybe 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 yeah, Endgame. Almost... Endgame might actually make you it know might, yeah. over two billion dollars. We'll see. But um... yeah, yeah, Avatar made about two point seven billion. Titanic was two point one billion, and then Star Wars: Force Awakens was almost two point one billion. Mm. So, yeah, yeah it, it'll be uh, crazy to see what happens. But yeah, all right. Well, I guess I guess we'll have to wrap up this conversation. But um, yeah, I guess any final thoughts for you, JJ, on uh, Alita and and just you know the just the uniqueness of it and what you hope for in the future. I would say, you know, if, if you listen to this and you haven't seen it, go see it. You know, it's a fun movie. It's it's worth um, it's worth seeing. And um, 
I really hope that they um, they get the chance to make another one because it's a really interesting world and um, it's a really interesting uh, franchise that uh, lends itself to many movies. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. I think it's it's a unique movie that is not getting enough attention. Um, all due respect to Captain Marvel, if you really don't want to see Captain Marvel, go see Alita instead, or do a double feature, feminist all the way, go see Alita, and then go see Captain Marvel. I mean, you get the best of both worlds. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I was really surprised at how much I enjoy this movie, despite its flaws. Um I think, again, just the technology being pushed further and further with James Cameron as a producer, um, you know, people don't understand the uniqueness of this and how revolutionary the technology is becoming. Um, But also just, you know, at at its heart, the story is just so genuine and heartfelt, despite it being this big action-packed adventure. And uh, I hope people take a chance on it, either in theaters or on streaming or on DVD or Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, give it a chance. It's, it's a, it's a great movie and, um, fingers crossed that we get a sequel because this is a world worth exploring. I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Wow. Well, that's, that's all we got. That's all we got, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's a long one. I, I probably should have mentioned that I, I'm kind of stopping with the, the time limit because there's so much to talk about. We can't get it in 45 minutes. And, you know, last time I talked, last week I talked with the episode with George Dahl I had. Um, we had such a great conversation without any limitations. We're like, oh, we got to get to the next topic, so just meet up. And we always sort of end at, a, you know, a minute and 30, uh, or a minute and 30, an hour and 30. So, um, I think this this is great. I like this sort of a long form conversation, and I'm gonna keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. So right. Well, uh, yeah, that's all we got for you guys today. If you have any thoughts or comments on this, any of the stories we talked about, um, please let me know in the comments. Whoa, why is is uh, somebody trying to call me? <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm gonna get rid of that. <laughs> uh, go away. How do I do that? Go away. Okay, I think that worked. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, yeah, that's all we got. Uh, let me know your thoughts on the stories below. Um, oh, one thing I want to I do is just whenever I have guests, I want to just talk about stuff we've watched. And so, like, JJ, have you... I mean, obviously you've seen Alita and you love it. I know that, but have you seen anything recently that is sort of uh, that you really liked or even didn't like? Some any any movies like that? Oh man, what else did I see? Um, Say anything uh, recent I off looked, the top of your head. I like. I watched um, How to Train Your Dragon, the third and final installment of that. Ooh. Um, thought it was good. It wasn't as good as the second one was, but um, it's definitely a, a cool way to to end the franchise and. Um, I thought that was really interesting to see. Hmm. Um, without spoilers, does it does it without any spoilers does it definitively end the whole thing? It does. It does definitively end. Hmm. Um, it uh, allows you know. I they definitely have said that they're trying to you know end it well since they've I mean they've made so much money off of that franchise you know with all its spinoffs and merchandise and everything. Right. Um, that uh, yeah, I felt like it was it did justice to end it and. Um, it definitely 
uh, takes you on an emotional journey to end, you know, all these characters. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. Um, cool. Well, I I saw the second one. I haven't seen the first one, so I'll have to watch the first one first, and then rewatch the second one, and then then I'll check out yeah. the third one. Any anything else you saw? What else did I see? Um, I'm really excited randomly, but I'm really excited for a movie that's coming out. Oh yeah, uh, that seems interesting. Uh, I haven't even watched the trailer yet, but I'm really intrigued by what I'm hearing about it. Is the Mustang? Um, the Mustang. It's uh, got 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's uh, it's supposed to release here on the 15th. Um, theaters seems really interesting. A really interesting drama um, about a horse and a guy. And I, I'm not really sure what it's about, but. I would be. Uh, I'm gonna check it out right after this and see what it's all about. Hmm. The Mustang. I'll have to check that one out too. Cool. Sounds cool. Um. Yeah. Like I said, uh, I recently watched Mary Queen of Scots, and uh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> I have to be honest. I um. Part mostly because they misconstrue history, uh, for the sake of political correctness, um. There is a the story of Mary Queen of Scots and Queen Elizabeth and their sort of um, banter and their struggle is a very fascinating story, and it was all undermined by um, just trying to empower um, empower Mary in a way that she didn't need to be empowered, um, and sort of insert a lot of just unfactual things that just really upset me and I just couldn't take my mind off and it's not even the fact that Mary and Queen Elizabeth never actually met that was actually the best scene in the entire movie but it's the only good scene in the entire movie as far as I'm concerned the rest of it is just it's just it was just really an unpleasant experience because you just know that most of or not most of a good portion of what they portray in the movie is just not real and just didn't happen. Um, like they kind of undermine her Catholic faith, um, and they sort of the reason why she's so controversial among Protestants is kind of they they basically just play it out as like oh she's a woman therefore she can't rule. It's like well no there was a lot more to it than that. <laughs> right. Um, right. But yeah, I I really didn't didn't like the movie. I, I unfortunately because I was really looking forward to it. I, I saw the first trailer. And I was like this is. This was like Brave Harbor with women in it, like leading the charge. And it wasn't even that. It wasn't even that action packed. So um, right. disappointed with that. But then I, I rebounded with Bohemian Rhapsody. And again, wow, what a great like celebration of Queen and, and Freddie Mercury. Um, you know, it's it's a movie that really um, it really it's 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 one of those rare feel good movies that everybody can sort of unite around, and um, it really it just doesn't hold back on on the controversial stuff that Freddie Mercury gets into and how it sort of leads into his to AIDS and his eventual death. But um, and, it, and there are some things in there that aren't really factual, but it's they're they're presented in the movie for the sake of dramatic effect, which is important. So. Right. But th- this felt more genuine and factual than Mary Queen of Scots. So to, to watch two movies that were based on real events, real people, one being almost entirely off the mark, one being close enough to where I I could enjoy it. Um, you know, it was it's like night and day. My opinion on the movies. Um, so yeah, that that's what I watched recently. Um, but yeah, the 
the Mustang. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that does it for us today. JJ, thank you for being on the show. Uh, glad you could yeah. be on once more. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely won't be the last time, um, as expected, since this is your, like, billionth time on this show. <laughs> uh, where can the people find you online? Find me uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, JJ Schindler. I'm the only one in the United States with that name, so it shouldn't be too far, hard to find me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, did you just I, I saw you just started uh, the Yellow, Ro- Yellow Rose Media on, on social media you're starting to promote that yeah that'll be coming out it's a business that I own I do digital marketing and uh, social media marketing for lots of different businesses um, also my company will be developing um, some upcoming uh, projects in the film related area so yeah that'll be in development you'll probably be seeing more and more of that come out online as we get more content to be able to put out um, and we're hoping to bring you value and bring you a lot of stuff that you can follow. So keep an eye out for that. Sweet. Well, yeah, you guys can uh, follow JJ on social media. I'll be sure to put all those links in the description of this video. Uh, follow Yellow Rose Media if you um, need any of his business. Be sure to give him a call or give him a ring. And be on the lookout for Roy, giant, expansive yeah. uh, sci-fi short film that is sure to be a hit. Uh, we'll yeah, try to get. We're releasing, uh, the website will be coming out sometime this next week, and then our social media campaign will be starting next week as well, so you'll be seeing a lot of great content coming out uh, every single day, actually, oh, wow. um, about uh, about the film. So we've been working on a campaign for a while, and we're excited to show you what we're, what we're doing. Right on. Well, yeah, we'll keep you guys posted on that, and uh, uh, we'll have to get Joe and you back in on the show to talk about Roy and just sort of yeah. the process behind that. Absolutely. And as for me, you know where to find me. Um, I'm going to be in the Omaha Film Festival this weekend. Not in the festival, but at the festival. I'll be uh, volunteering for a couple of days uh, with the... Oh my gosh, what's it called? Uh, the Omaha Film Festival Academy, which is just for um, kids wanting to learn about film. I'll be working with them. Then I'll be sort of walking the floor, seeing movies. So um, if you know me or want to know me, if you see me, uh, point yourself out and say hi. would love to talk to you guys about films and stuff and uh, possibly network and collaborate. So be on the lookout for me at the Omaha Film Festival. And if you're not going, well, I I don't even know if they can let you in. So sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for watching. Have a great day. Stay safe in this cold-ass weather. Um, and pray to God that, you know, a sonar or something or just sun will come and the snow will melt and we'll get get that spring uh i'll trade you weather jj if you're interested uh it's a nice 65 70 degrees over here in los angeles oh man you just you need, you need to shut up right now <laughs> okay thanks for watching guys have a great day god bless and peace out <laughs>